Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I've got a great stream with a great guest I think you're really going to enjoy. So joining me today to break down an insane article from the left is The Prudentialist. Thanks for joining me, man. Thanks for having me on again. It's always a pleasure, Warren. Yeah, he's he's suit-mogging me again. If, you, if you're listening to the podcast and you don't understand, Prudentialist has once again uh, brought his suit game. Uh, he, he did, however, do me the favor of not bringing the tie uh, it's casual so, Friday. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you letting me off with just a you know a, a little bit there, a little bit of a hip check, not the not the full bodied uh, blow there. But uh, he is he is absolutely there. Of course, I will uh, be in a suit along with Prudentialist over at the Skildings Conference here next week. I believe tickets are still on sale, but they're running out pretty quickly, right? Yep. So Skildings.com/events if you still want to see Orin and I talk. Yep, yep, we'll be going on. I will be explaining why uh, the woke cannot be put away. Um, and so uh, if you want to enjoy that talk, uh, you can definitely check out, get some tickets, join us in Tennessee. All right, so what are we doing here today? As you might have checked on the stream title there, uh, we're looking at a article from The Nation, which is, of course, a ridiculous uh, left-wing rag. But this one kind of kind of told some uh, kind of mask off moments here. Uh, it was a little too clear about kind of the left's uh, purpose, their drive, what they're actually trying to do. So I thought it'd be interesting if the Prudentialist and I kind of read it together and talked about what was going on here. So we'll just jump right into it here. Uh, the America's suburbs are breeding grounds for fascism. Hate against trans people is rising, but the sur- suburbs are what gives this hate its fervor and popularity. So, of course, you know, ridiculous on its face, but you have to respect this from the left. Everything is an opportunity to destroy structures that oppose them, right? Everything, everything is an opportunity to take what seems like a mild disagreement and turn it into a destruction of those who might oppose you uh, and the things that they kind of rely on to get by through the day. And so that's what they kind of turn this into here. You know, of course you can see this great, I gotta say this piece of art is particularly great. It's just all of these people like running away from what looks like an exploding like terrorist attack on a, on a rainbow target store here. That's a, kind of an amazing snapshot. I mean, it's lovely projection considering all the bomb threats against Target have been by progressives. But I, I kind of would, I guess, maybe push back on the mild disagreement part because what might seem like a mild disagreement between like someone on the right into someone on the left, for them, all these disagreements are existential. So I, I wouldn't say that, you know, for us, it's a mild disagreement. But for them, you know, if you're again, if you, if you want to criminalize pedophilia, for example, right, all of a sudden they're going to come out of the woodwork and tell you that this is against trans rights or something. And then, you know, more questions start getting raised. And then when you ask those questions, right, that's when they'll put out the article that, you know, you know, deracinating suburbia is actually the real breeding ground for fascism. And here we are. Yeah. And and, and that's what I was trying to communicate there is that, yeah, for, for us, this just seems like a mild disagreement, but I respect the left because they take this to exactly to the quick, like you're saying, you know, they'll just, they'll, at this point, they'll just say the quiet part out loud. What do you mean, uh, you know, uh, try, trying to ban this stuff is is directly anti-LGBTQ? Well, what does that mean? Oh, okay, you know, let's let's look at why that's an existential threat to that culture. But yeah, all right, so let's, let's jump in here. Uh, the first paragraph just kind of sets the scene. Uh, the target uh, closest to where I sit is in the Torrington, uh, Connecticut. It's uh, next to a Home Depot, a Wendy's, a Walgreens, a Walmart, 
and Chipotle, of course, all, uh, you know, all symbols of the Nazi party, uh, well-known uh, kind of uh, conveyors of uh, radical right-wing ideology. Driving is the only option here, unless you're willing to take the one available bus from downtown and then walk along one or two large highways that bisect the area. Uh, if you drive down a few miles of road without uh, si- uh, or roads without sidewalks appear on which sit houses for sale, uh, four bedrooms, new construction, two car garages, and gray exteriors. Uh, so if we don't, if we're not all packed uh, into uh, kind of uh, giant high-rise buildings, uh, going to our bodega, our local bodega, then we're we're just living in pretty much a nightmare, right, Prudentialist? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's plenty of things to complain about suburbia, but we have to paint the scene so we can tell you that those awful people that don't want to live in the city are, uh, you know, it's not it's not your walkable cities, everyone. It's it's suburbs. You know that you're in a you're in fascist country now. Uh, so, someone said the sub Reich is rising, which is that's, <laughs> that's that's good. That's a good joke. Um, so um, uh, and I want to be clear here, guys. Uh, so there are like legitimate um points about the problem of suburbs and how they create certain amounts of kind of atomization and deracination there there are fair moments of of kind of critique about some of these forms of city planning uh but we'll see that 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 is not like the the interest here is not in creating a more healthy and organic kind of way of social formation the interest here is destroying your enemies destroying your political enemies and that's going to be kind of the core here so we're not saying that suburbs are like the ultimate and best possible way to organize a city. Uh, th- there are legitimate points to be made against you know certain aspects of that, but but you'll see very quickly that those are that's not what's happening here. Places like this are the most common uh, uh, form of American life. Life as of 2017, 52 percent of Americans live in suburbs. Uh, there uh, there are of course differences between say a suburb in Connecticut and a suburb in Texas. Uh, but they're all variations on a formula, uh, and lives lived in this uh, suburban areas tend to revolve around the same kind of places and the same kind of ideology. Again, kind of got to give the left credit here. They're willing to look at kind of structural issues in a way that much of the right is not. They know what they hate, and they know what protects it or what allows it to flourish. And so their point is that uh, the very existence of this type of housing uh, kind of confounds the leftist project, allows people who disagree with the leftist project to live in a particular way that allows the perpetuation of their values. And this is a very serious problem. Absolutely. I mean, it kind of reminds me of uh, what Nick Land would say in like the Dark Enlightenment, you know, that exit is the ultimate form of escape. And then for the left, they don't want you to have exit. So if the suburbs are an exit from, you know, urban crime and the various issues of governance, taxation, poor living standards, you can't walk anywhere without getting mugged, then yeah, they, they, that's an exit to them and they need to close it off somehow. So how do we close it off? Well, we associate them with Nazism and Nazis are the only acceptable target for today. So that's what we got to do. Mask off time. Yep. Always got to be somebody we can punch. Always got to be, you know, the left is always and everywhere uh, normalizing the idea of acceptable political and state violence against its opponents uh that that's what this article is make make no mistake uh and yeah it's you know that's another really good point is of course the a lot of these suburbs are you know grow out of a need to escape certain aspects of leftist policy in cities and so the the whole point is again to cut off any opportunity uh even if it if it arose 
directly from reactions to leftist policies uh, to, for anyone to escape this, to live any kind of life that isn't completely consumed and ruled by kind of these progressive ideologies. And so it makes sense that these are now places where fascism grows. Quite, quite the whiplash there. I see you have Walmarts and, uh, and uh, roads without sidewalks. Must be fascism. It's all it can be. It's the only answer. Uh, the suburbs were invented as reactionary tools mm. uh, against the women's liberation and civil rights movements. That's a very interesting thing to say about the civil rights movement and the women's liberation movement. Both of them make it impossible uh, to have suburbs. Probably something that the right should think about there. The U.S. government, in uh, concert with banks, landowners, and home builders, created a way to try and stop all that by separating people into single homes, moving public spaces, and ensuring that every neighborhood was segregated via redlining. So here's a really interesting uh, contradiction that I want to stop and talk about for just a second here, Prudentialist. Would you say that the U.S. government has been working actively against women's liberation and civil rights? Is that that been the uh, the the stance of the U.S. government for the last you know forty some odd years? No, I mean this is the Howard Zinn's baby's first understanding of progressive U.S. history. Uh, really, if anything, what it has been for people escaping to the suburbs or what often gets pejoratively labeled as white flight is people trying to escape the, you know, concert and balance of this uh, coordinated effort between government banks and media to ensure that you can't escape um, integration. You can't escape the all consuming aspects of the civil rights act or women's liberation. I mean, there's a great tweet and I wish I knew who said it where he had said that really at this point for a lot of Americans that oppose the left, your, your whole goal in life is this rat race to being able to have enough money in order to escape the consequences of the Civil Rights Act. And I think that you definitely see this here where it's like, oh, these people have escaped this progressive hellhole that we've invented in, in cities like Detroit or Los Angeles or New York City. So clearly we have to crush these fascists that escape the, the woodworks. It's just funny that they've kind of backward enge backwards engineered the story where the U.S. government was like really opposed to all these movements instead of, you know, actively structuring kind of the, the society around them and making them integral to kind of every aspect of uh, of kind of our larger massified uh, government. And so it's it's it, I understand that they still have to play the victim here that they still but but it's just funny to me that they can't even keep like a basic historical narrative of this together like they would still i'm sure say that like this is something that is ongoing with banks even though blackrock and you know, merrill lynch and all these people like 100 percent agree with them on everything i mean wells fargo literally had changed their philanthropy goals from like education health care to more explicitly housing for uh low-income individuals and minorities so it, it no i mean this is the funny thing like if the u.s government was really in concert with like making maintaining this aura of white supremacy or fascism or whatever right like I, i'd imagine that you know eisenhower and and kennedy and lbj would be siding with governor wallace we wouldn't have the national guard federalized with bayonets telling people to do whatever they need to do to force integration but no I, what's really important with this is that if they had only one strict dogma for how their historical narrative would applied it would make a lot of common conservative critiques of like, well, that's hypocrisy or that's a contradiction that doesn't make sense. Um, that would work a lot more effectively. But by having these sort of ability to be amorphous, 
with your history, with your political narratives. It allows you to always be on the back foot in order to change your position and shift. So, you know, in this instance, we're witnessing the article, you know, say that the U.S. government was the big bad evil guy, which allows them to stay in that motion of perpetual revolution, uh, despite the fact that really the last 70 years of U.S. history has been a leftist you know, form of narrative, a leftist government working to achieve leftist ends, not by the will of the people or the consent of the governed as the founders would have wanted, but by judicial and executive fiat, regardless of public opinion. But having that amorphous political historical narrative allows them at any time to sort of dodge critiques of hypocrisy or contradiction. Yeah, I found this very interesting because I, I taught history, right? And it is um, really important for people now to never learn history chronologically. If you if you sit down in a current history environment, people learn McNuggets of history. They never learn actual sequences of history, which is very interesting because that allows people to kind of, basically what happens is you get told moral narratives in the guise of historical events, but you can't place them in any context. So you have no understanding of like what came before or what came after or how one thing led to another. All you have is like, well, someone had to sit on the wrong seat of the bus or, you know, something like this. And you just pull that out and you say, well, this is bad. And we know this is bad now. And then you just put it back into history and you never really think about any of these things being connected to each other. And so that's a very useful tool. Of course, we all know that the, the, the Orwellian quote is is now just trampled to death but the control of the past really does matter because if especially not just the events of the past but the way people are allowed to think about the past because you can kind of completely remove pattern recognition or consequential you know you you, you can remove any of those those actual attachments uh ca causal attachments from different events and you can just treat each event as a way to kind of reinforce your ideology you take it out you put it back it only teaches you the lesson it's supposed to, but you never, it's it's like how a lot of people, you know, uh, do with the Bible, right? They just grab random verses that currently agree with the thing that they're trying to teach you, but their nose verses are never placed in any kind of wider context or understanding of scripture where you can get a more holistic understanding of kind of how this thing hangs together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this. It, it, like that, like you said, the Orwell quotes trampled to death, and it's like what Steve Saylor said that political correctness, or I guess in this instance, wokeness or leftism, is just a war on pattern recognition. Right. All right. So, uh, and so it makes sense that these are now the. Oh, we already did the the fascists here. Uh, where, where'd we? Explicit stop? goals of the designers. Uh, I've completely lost it. Oh, oh, we didn't do this part here. Oh, okay. Uh, the suburbs would keep white women at home. God forbid. And would keep white men uh, at work to afford the home. These were explicit goals of the designers. Uh, no man who owns his uh, his house and lot can be communist. And the creator of uh, the creator of Leventown, the model suburb, said uh, he has too much to do. So interestingly, uh, the left uh, or is you'll notice the phrasing here: keep white women at home. So large corporations love that women aren't at home, right? That's a huge oh, yeah. boon to them. The, so so they're saying that these people who created the suburbs, these bankers, these evil, evil capitalists, they wanted to keep women at home. But that makes no sense. Like evil capitalists who want to make as much money as possible and pay the smallest amount for labor, labor possible want women 
at work because it creates cheaper labor for them. It creates a workforce that is more likely not to have a high level of conflict. And it also creates additional demand for services because now all of the things that once fell under kind of the traditional role of work for women at home suddenly becomes something you can hire someone to do or you can create a machine to do or uh, you, you can get a subscription service for. These are all economic opportunities that are created for capitalism by women working. But these people who are trying to attack bankers, trying to attack capitalists, trying to attack this stuff, say that actually all of these evil people who care about nothing more than money are doing this thing that would make sure that they didn't make more money. Yeah, I mean, the, the left kind of, again, contradictions is what allows the left to, to springboard and dodge any sort of major criticism and critique. But I mean, it, it does illustrate, I think, a, a big part of what the left really is, is that, you know, you hear that phrase quite often that the woke are more correct than the mainstream. I mean, the woke are more in love with capital than the right is in a lot of respects. They're more hyper capitalist than anyone else because, you know, the things that move their march of progress are things that ordinary people don't actually want. But, you know, when you have the ability to cancel bank accounts, change things by managerial or bureaucratic fiat, whether that be in banks or within the executive branch of government, then, yeah, you're going to work hand in hand with it. It's uh, many people will tell you that, um, you know, anytime you hear like a leftist complaint, like, yeah, I'm punk, I, I, I'm against all these things, you know, I'm pro trans rights or whatever. And it's just like, so you're on the same side as BlackRock, the U.S. government, Wells Fargo, all these other large major banks and institutions. They're they're more in bed with capital than the right is. Yeah, it's it's certainly a situation where they're you're, again, like we said, once you can just pull these different aspects of history, you can just ignore any kind of actual connections or any kind of real context. Then you get to form this narrative where you remain the victim, even though it's very clear that you are aligned with many of these institutions. I mean, that creator of Levittown does have a very good point, though. Like, if you own private property and have a job, yeah. you're not going to be a communist. Like, right. all, all this communal housing, all these public works projects, all this, like, little renting America. I mean, if you don't own anything, right? Like, there's no skin in the game. Of course, I'm going to be angry and be more concerned about the, the bourgeoisie or the, the landowners and the rentiers and landlords. Uh, that's how it is. It breeds more progressivism because they have to take away things that you owned and that you earned and worked to have. So, I mean, you know. Well, and, and that's why they have to define this as fascist, right? Because, absolutely. Uh, because any opposition, anything that could stop the inevitable march of communism has to be fascism. Those are the only two forces that exist in in, in history. And so, uh, you know, they, they automatically slap uh, anything that's going to that's gonna stop the uh, inevitable march of communism with that label. So, yeah, he doesn't want people to be communists. That has, the only other option is to be a fascist. There's, there's simply no other option. Uh, the reason Target has become the locus of today's particular right-wing backlash is the same reason countless viral TikToks attempt to convince women that they're at risk of being kidnapped every time they're in a parking lot. Well, good news, guys. Uh, things are very safe in cities. You don't need to worry about them. Uh, people certainly do not like go to jail for attempting to defend themselves on the subway. Uh, no one gets pushed in front of subway cars. No one gets that. That's just not, those aren't real things that happen in cities in America. So you're fine. Uh, just, you know, all women should should walk alone in the dark at night in unsafe areas um, that, you know, they're, they're just fine. It's all right-wing propaganda. Yeah, that, that's what we're getting here. Uh, it's the reason why true crime is one of the most popular podcast genres in America. And why many refuse to travel with a gun by their side and shoot people if they set foot in their driveway. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> yourself. Um, 
don't walk into random people's property unannounced yeah but, don't don't do anything to say it's a prank or you're on pot you know for a tiktok video i'm true crime is i I mean, there's a whole other. That's a whole. Yeah, other, that's a whole. We, don't have, we don't, don't have time, time to break it um, But yeah, there's a, there's a reason for it, uh, yeah. and it has has a lot more to do with uh, the particular audience of those podcasts than you think. But yeah, it's a whole other can of worms. Yeah, like I said, we, we just don't have time to get into that. That's, <laughs> that, that's its own two-hour episode. All right, hate against trans people is rising, but the suburbs suburbs are what give it its uh, hate, its fervor and popularity uh a, a, a million uh torringtons a million of these same locations in different uh location in different locations okay uh in which any uh any difference or anything out of place or spontaneous is perceived as a threat people so, like being left alone what a surprise <laughs> well it, it so it's really interesting here they're going to argue the argument here is that suburbs are kind of pun are forcing uniformity here right that's kind of what they're trying to say is that suburbs force uniformity and that therefore like they have a violent reaction to anything that's out of place or spontaneous but of course this is exactly the reaction we get from over socialized leftists in major metropolitan areas who lose their absolute mind uh, the minute that anyone steps out of line in their uh, in their company, tells an off-color joke, has any you know any opinion outside of kind of their entirely pre-approved thing, th this level of uniformity exists in a high degree inside pretty much every leftist institution, and they're the ones that have a, a absolute uh, fit anytime anyone kind of steps out of line to these things. But they're trying to make the suburbs the place where any of this kind of freedom would happen. Though, in my experience, you know, suburbs are the place where your kids can play outside. Suburbs are the places where you can suddenly start a cookout with, you know, people. Hey, I'm I'm cooking some burgers. Come on by. You know, people just walk down your road. All of a sudden, a bunch of people are all sitting around lighting off fireworks, talking to each other. It's the place where like natural organic community happens. Those are the places where you have uh, more spontaneity, not these places that are completely micromanaged by progressive leftist commissars. Well, I, I think that you can actually reduce that down one step further. What what that really is, is that he's complaining that there's homogeneity. There's homogeneity in the cities because there's a dominant liberal mindset. There's a homogeneity in liberal institutions because everyone has to agree to the same things and prostrate themselves before the same shibboleths and icons of people that they you know may or may not agree with but because they're leftists they have to i mean it's the same thing with the suburbs like everyone is out there to either uh not deal with the city to escape the cost of living they're probably wanting to keep their families and neighborhoods safe there's spontaneity there's high trust mm -hmm. um so i mean you, you have this relative homogeneity both on either ideological or racial lines and so, you know, the city seeing these people as a perceived threat, because we all share the same country, uh, you know, I can be, live in the suburbs and, you know, say like out in the Catskills or whatever, right? And I still have to be beholden to the politics in New York City. Um, and so, yeah, I may have a homogenous little suburban neighborhood outside of the uh, outside of, you know, Manhattan or whatever, but it doesn't matter because Manhattan also has a homogenous liberal mindset and they see me as a threat. And this is what we're seeing time and time again is, is, um, a mix of the sort of friend enemy distinction at play here, but also, well, wh what's the middle class? 
it's it's the suburbanites. It's it's the people that can afford to maybe not live in the city, um, but can't afford to live in the country because they have their jobs tied to the city. And so that high, low versus middle is coming to play again. And those evil, evil fascists are the guys in the middle and in suburbs flipping their burgers, wanting their kids to not get transed. Ah, you know, first you want to grill. Next, you have a funny mustache in your painting. That's those are the those are the steps. All right. Uh, <laughs> No one on the stream has a mustache. I want to be clear. I did. It wasn't. <laughs> All right. Uh, it is, of course, true that the mass uh, that these mass hysterias are part of an organized right wing movement that is attacking human rights across the country through legislation banning abortion, gender affirmation care, and books making it illegal for educators to teach American history accurately. So this is a neat little package here, right? Um, first, obviously, the left is furious. Um, that anyone on the right figures out how this works. Uh, the left organizes all of its activist movements. It has massive networks of NGOs. It makes all of this stuff happen. Uh, the things that we often think of as completely uh, bottom-up, uh, you know, grassroots movements are engineered by the left very, very specifically. And some on the right have started to figure out that uh, actually this is why the left wins constantly and maybe we should do some of this. Now, to be clear, uh, the left has been pushing uh, very particularly on the trans issue. And this has caused a, I think, pretty organic right-wing backlash, one that is actually grassroots to some extent. But for once, guys like Chris Rufo and Matt Walsh and other people realize like, hey, we got this popular energy what if we did something with it? We're like, what, what if we, what if we, instead of just complaining about how the left has gone crazy and it's all hypocrisy, what if we went out there and we secured uh, a policy change? What if we got out there and we took a corporate scalp uh, for doing this stuff? Like, what if we did something that made people stop and say, oh, like we can win something here and people will, will change their behavior based on like what we do. And so now that the left has figured this out, or rather, now that some parts of the right have figured this out, the left is terrified, right? All of a sudden, there are no right-wing organic movements, right? They're, they're all completely led. And this is, and to be fair, this is this is both sides play this, right? Anytime it's my politics, it's the politics of the people, it's the popular position. Anytime it's your politics, it's the politics of a small minority of people who are radical and, and manipulating things behind the scenes. When the truth is, <laughs> all politics is operated by elites. All politics that that's going to long-term hold success is driven by small groups who are organized, the organized minority. And so on either side, if you want to win, you have to do this stuff. And of course they tie it to like all of their other issues. Every one of these things is connected. So if you're, you know, if you ever cared uh, at any point, uh, if you're, if you're a woman who's big on like abortion rights, or if you're someone who was worried about like, I guess, education about uh, American history, then you have to you have to feel exactly the same way about trans rights. It all has to be one inseparable thing, uh, so that the political coalition is basically one giant suicide pact based around this new uh, uh, minority that is uh, pushing more and more extreme things onto the American population. Yep, but I mean, there's a there's a nugget of truth into that because it's the small organized minority that gets things done and. Again, like you see this on the right as well. Like once there's beginning inklings of organization, um, you do get the usual gatekeepers telling you that this is a bad thing, that we shouldn't wield power. Um, but the same people that tell you that we shouldn't wield power are totally okay with you getting, you know, um, dealing with crime and the ongoing 
you know, eunuch cult that we're, we're dealing with when it comes to like transgender kids. So, I mean, really what this illustrates to me is, is that, you know, oh man, the, these people are learning how the game gets played. I mean, better late than never, but it does illustrate that uh, this is the kind of battle we're in is who can organize, who can fund and who can, you know, bring bodies to, to protests and things like that. And um, those things have a tendency to escalate. And this is what this article is all about is, you know, we got to eradicate the suburbanites. I, I love the 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 new the new guy on the block, the new Republican on the block, or who's really kind of a very old Republican, I guess. But the guy who's like, oh, I can't believe that that there are right wingers who want to use government power to stop their enemies. I can't believe there are right wingers talking about using the government power. We have to have small government. Oh, uh, okay. How much are we sending to Ukraine? Oh, as many trillions of dollars as they want. Absolutely, every single one. Tax bleed everybody dry until we have every last dollar. We need to throw at a foreign country uh, through th through our arms manufacturers. Like it's the same same guy say within ten seconds of each other. Exactly, you know, just that that's the logic. It's beautiful. Uh, yeah. It, it, what's the meme? Like we should send, you know, we should fund our police officers or actually enforce our laws. And it's like shut up. And it's like we should send more money to Ukraine. It's like yes, sir. Glory to Raytheon. Right. It's the same thing, time and time yeah. again. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but the shape this movement has taken is not coincidental. It is in fact the product of a unique shape of American public or a unique shape of public life in America, or lack thereof. Suburbanites do not have town squares in which they protest. See, that's the main function of town squares: protest, right? Not getting together, not not celebrating traditional ceremonies or religious ceremony you know, holidays, not, not binding the, the main, the thing that binds the leftists together is protest. It's the destruction of civilization is the key for any town square. So because, you know, you don't have town squares in, uh, in suburbia, um, they, they can't have, they can't do the sacred ritual protest. Uh, they don't have streets to march down again. What's the purpose of a street? Only revolution turns out the purpose of every social institution is revolution. Target helps have come the closest thing many have to a public forum i mean it, it kind of reminds me of what like thomas marcus writes in buildings and power about like city architecture uh in comparison to say like suburbia wherein you know if, if you're concerned about controlling people or organizing power you want your architecture to have like a, a town square or a city hall or a wide open walkable space where there can be bodies to protest and have a central point where they can all flood into uh, the suburbs don't really have that. I mean, you might have a city hall or like the school board or whatever. But again, if you're in a place where there aren't a lot of walkable areas, then what do we see? Well, we see the same thing during 2020 with um, Black Lives Matter protesters. They'll just lay down in front of the highway so you can't go home from your job back to the suburbs because that's where they recognize that that's their only avenue to block things is with regards to city planning, zoning and architecture. And so, yeah, I mean, it's all about protests to them because their only sacral, you know, their only sacred thing to them is the protest. Everything else has been desacralized. Well, you have to do the Napoleon thing where you make the streets wide enough for a division to march through. Like uh, all of them have to be standardized there. But all right. Anyway. Well, you know, uh, the, <laughs> the, the obesity crisis, I think, has that settled. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. No, current U.S. troops not going to clear that French street. <laughs> yeah. We often hear that urban areas are more liberal and suburban ones more conservative. And we're often told that this is because of race. This may be partially true, uh, though cities are wider than ever and suburbs more diverse than ever. 
Interesting. Interesting. Uh, is that a problem for them? I'm I'm trying to understand. Anyway, uh, instead, it may be that suburbanism itself is an ideology, breeds reactionary thinking, and turns Americans into people constantly scared of a big bad other. It's kind of funny here. They're actually like, well, there's like maybe maybe politics isn't entirely based on race, which is kind of you know from their position is a very funny thing to kind of yeah. I have to chuckle because that last uh, sentence is one of those like woke is more correct than the mainstream type bits here. Because why do people why do people escape to cities? You know, because uh, the leftist policies typically run them into the ground. And so there's yeah, of course, suburbanism is going to breed a reactionary thinking. It's a high trust society. People go to the suburbs because they can rely on their police to deal with crazy people. Heaven forbid. Um, you know, we actually like having safety and security and a relative sense of homogeneity but you know yeah if someone decides to be inside my house i have a sheriff that says i'm allowed to protect myself what what a terrible thing can't wait for the city to come in and uh, ruin that ability but i wonder if their commentary about more diverse than ever has to tie into that like lovely multiracial whiteness that they've been going uh, on about since 2020 yeah. yeah 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 you've got the You've got the rise of the Hispanic white nationalist. Uh, you know, you've got to you got to worry about that. Uh, you can't. If they move to the suburbs, then they they're just going to go right down the the pipeline, right? Yeah, they'll the, just keep bleaching themselves. You know, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter what Martinez you know has to say. He's he's yeah. a Nazi blue, now. Blue blue eyed Gonzales is as far as the eye can see. <laughs> um, all right, the suburban doctrine dictates that public space uh, be limited and conflict free where it exists. <laughs> I mean, yeah, more conflict, man. Let's 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 get as much conflict as we can into our areas. That's that's a goal of civilization. We wouldn't want a place that's not that's conflict free. That would be a terrible thing. No one would want to live there. Uh, that private space serves only as a place of commodity exchange. That surveillance, hyper individualism, and constant vigilance are good and normal and keep people safe. Um, again you're going to get way more surveillance or at least as much surveillance in a city. So a lot of this stuff can just be directly ported over, uh, you know, to, to, to leftist urban environments. Uh, you're certainly getting a lot of hyper individualization in those areas. It's not like people have deep roots in, uh, in a lot of these cities that they're desperately fleeing because they've come incredibly dirty and unsafe. I mean, people um, don't have deep roots in, in sub in suburbs either. I mean, like they're incredibly, right deracinating like oh where are you from like oh I, i'm in this cookie cutter suburb that i like it's almost as if everyone kind of forgets the like progressive lefty like musical counterculture of like bowling for soup or green day complaining about how crappy the suburbs are because mm -hmm. there's no place to really exist or to, to be me but i mean like in this age of digital communication right like we've achieved this great fragmentation of identity like Marshall McLuhan was talking about this like back in the like fifties or sixties with the Gutenberg galaxy. He was just like, look, the, the, the television visual medium will die and we will have this electronic interdependence to where now we live in this like global homogenizing village where it doesn't matter that someone like me who lives out in the country where kids can like literally ride their horses to like go to the local park or to go to high school. Um, if they're still speaking in the same sort of like zoomer TikTok you know, gesticulation type of language. And so, I mean, cities and suburbs have become really hyper-individualistic, but they've also been like really flattened, sort of like Kierkegaard's concept of the leveling. There is no more unique identities. It's all sort of the same homogenizing force. But in the suburbs, the homogenizing force is that, well, 
we have some sort of desire to not be like them, the city, the area of crime, the area in which there has been this atomization of private property, of law and order, and that if I do something that, you know, 20 years ago would have been seen as something worth, you know, applauding and getting the key to the city, now it gets you arrested by a progressive district attorney whose campaign was funded by, like, the Soros's. Like, this is where we're at now. And so for them, on the, say, the suburban side or the progressive side, or urban side and the progressives, all that you're seeing now is that, well, these guys aren't like us. And um, that's clearly a problem because we have to homogenize them into this progressive anarcho-tyrannical state where if you speak up, that's the case. And um, I'm surprised that they haven't leaned too much into the racial element by that for reasons I really don't know as to why this article doesn't. But I mean, consider the fact that, you know, white guy Daniel Perry or Penny, the gentleman from New York City who, you know, try to take care of a crazy person in a chokehold who unfortunately passed away. And I don't think it was related to the chokehold, but with drugs. And now all of a sudden, you know, he's, he's arrested for doing something that was in his home. He's from that area. He wasn't some stranger, but they have to treat him as one because he was white and because he did something that 20 years ago would have been seen normal. Um, would have so, been heroic. Yeah, it would have been heroic. I mean, he's a hero. I, I don't care what people say. He's a hero. Yeah, get, get that guy a steak dinner, right? Like that. Yeah. That would have been the. That would have been the response. Same thing with the Kyle Rittenhouse thing, right? The, yeah, absolutely. You know, There's slightly different dynamics there, but again, you're you're absolutely right. You know, he he is uh, he is uh, in front of a prosecutor because of the race of the guy who died. That that's all there is to it. Uh, you know, and it's not just uh, though. It certainly falls more because he's white. There was the other, um, I'm trying to remember, there was another guy who like shot an armed robber who was trying to do his, bo uh, trying to uh, take stuff in his, his bodega. And he, uh, you know, even though it was completely and obviously self-defense, uh, he ended up uh, on trail for for murder and he was like Lebanese or something, you know, he, yeah. like, he, like, like he wasn't like at all. So it's, it's very clear that, like you said, this anarcho-tyranny is something that is just heavily desired. It's it's incredibly racially motivated, and it can, makes it impossible for people to live in those societies. And then as soon as they try to escape anywhere else, then you know they're they're just agents of fascism. So yeah, and I mean that's the that's the really big divide here. I'm glad that you kind of chimed in there because I, I think it helps trying to get to where I was going because um, in some in a large urban area where it's more concentrated, it's more progressive. Uh, anarcho tyranny works because there's not a, a large enough collective for people to say no or to protest. Whereas in in the suburbs, there are enough people that share your opinions that if you were to defend yourself and you were to say, uh, you know, take the life of someone trying to rob you, um, you probably have more than enough people that have your back. And even then, it's not a guarantee nowadays, as we've seen in the past, because again, the internet makes it accessible for anyone to see. So it doesn't matter if you live out in the middle of nowhere like I do. Like if I were unfortunately in a self-defense situation, not to rip off Sam Hyde there, but like, you know, and I had to take the life of somebody who was trying to rob me and he happened to be black. It doesn't matter. There's an army of urban leftists that are ready to come invade my little country estate to make sure that I'm properly prosecuted or something like that. That's the nature of this kind of conflict. It really has been as you know, this article's author has correctly identified it's existential for them because apparently we're fascists. Well, and, and, you know, it's funny because of course they're complaining about the organization of the right. Oh, you know, they're artificially producing this stuff. They're, they're, you know, they're uh, top down manipulations and creating these movements. But of course the, the thing you're talking about, the phenomenon you're talking about right there is exactly one created by the left from the top down to, but, you know, to bus large armies of protesters into 
small suburban areas if there's any kind of you know shooting they can exploit you know kenosha wisconsin probably wasn't the most uh the, the the most crazy urban environment so even if you do manage to get yourself outside of these areas yeah like you said you're you're just in a situation where the left will bring the problem to you and so again the the point is to always eliminate any area of safety you're never allowed to have any of this stuff you're never allowed to be anything but lockstep with the progressive movement uh, and any attempt to move outside of it or escape it you will be chased down there's there's just you know the side that wants to win is going to beat the people who want to be left alone. Yeah, and I want the audience at home to think about that and then consider immigration. It's the it's same a, thing. Uh, uh, it's an ideology that extends beyond the suburbs. It affects everything. Even cities, as Sarah Schulman writes in The Gentrification of the Mind, have become places where people expect convenience and calmness over culture and community. What is a life of uh, what is a life of living in a surveilled and amenity-filled high-rise and ordering all of your food and objects from the internet to your door, if not a suburban life? Um, so yeah, we can just kind of reverse engineer our argument here, right? Uh, yeah. it, the problem is that our our cities are too much like suburbs. It's not that our you know ruling affluent class created a bunch of problems. Uh, so that they could obtain more power and then use their affluence to completely block off any of the consequences of those decisions. We have to completely decouple any kind of consequences. The only thing they're trying to evolve is culture and community. <laughs> what, what does culture and community mean in this sentence? <laughs> it means the escape of from what? That's, it, it feels like they're, they're trying to tell on themselves really hard here. Oh, I mean, what is every leftist fluff piece other than a projected confessional about what they want to do to other people? <laughs> Very true. You're not wrong. Uh, to make matters worse, uh, the people who have adopted this mindset don't see it as an ideology, but as the normal right state of the world. There, as human rights look uh, look in the mirror and think it's a window. So when uh, uh, so when anything, even a gay T-shirt disrupts their view, they become scared. Yes. That's yes. that's all that's happened. Someone has a T-shirt that's gay. That's <laughs> the only thing that's happening in society right now. You're, that that's exactly right. I'm sure. Uh, Anti-trans panic at the center of the uh, target controversy. Let's remember again, as as Prude rightly pointed out, the timeline. Let's let's give a little bit of context um, to these events because we we seem to hate context right now. Remember what led to this okay why are we here um parents have been targeted by the fbi if they disagree with their children being forced to be groomed by ed american educational institutions if they don't want radical gender ideology forced on their children they are threatened by state security apparatus we had a guy who was protesting the aggressive rape of his child his daughter in a school bathroom arrested just because he disagreed with the school board he was pulled out and arrested um for this reason then we had a shooter in nashville and uh following trans ideology kill six people uh three of them children at a christian school and right after that immediately after that it was not oh we feel uh, a lot of remorse for the Christian community. 
we feel really bad for the people who went to the school. Uh, we're going to do a lot of donations for these people. Instead, every single institution from the federal government, Joe Biden, the White House, down to these corporations, down to celebrities like Madonna, said, oh, we're on the side of the trans shooter. We're on the side. We stand with that community, not the one that was attacked, that was murdered. We don't stand with the murdered children. We stand with the other community. This is what actually started the boycott thing, at least to some extent. Like this, this is the context in which then these really aggressive, um, you know, uh, pride uh, celebrations became offensive because this person had murdered six people, had murdered children, had murdered Christians, and everyone sided with the cause of the shooter. On top of that, there was another trans shooter who was stopped. Again, we don't talk about this anymore, that this person just disappeared from the news. There was another one that was stopped that was planning to target a middle school and multiple churches. So we very could very well could have had dozens of dead children or Christians across the nation from this ideology. When we had the Target incident, after the protests, where, who, where are the threats coming from? The bomb threats towards these targets all the all the uh, news agencies shifted the headline to try to make it look like these were just target, you know, com coming from uh, people who opposed the Pride Month or whatever, who are for the target boycott. But they weren't. These these threats were explicitly from people who said target backed down to these bigots. Bar target betrayed the LGBTQ community. They're the ones pushing violence. So to be really clear, at every step of the way of this, the violence, the direct terrorism, the direct acts of state persecution have come from the left, have come under the uh, 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 under the justification of advancing radical gender ideology, trans ideology, especially when it comes to children. But when we get the sentence here, the anti-trans panic, is it's something completely manufactured, it came out of nowhere, has no connection to reality, Remember, look at the context, guys. Think about the chronology. These things happen. These events are connected. They mean something. And the goal of pieces like this is to pretend it's all just ridiculous. It's all just a hysteria. And actually, not only is that, it's, it's artificially manufactured by evil fascists. These kulaks living in their, suburb, uh, their suburbs, they're eventually going to go out and just like slaughter all these trans people. And so like we've got to get rid of them first. Like That's very clearly the tone of this piece. It's very clearly what they're trying to say. If we don't eradicate these people's way of life, then they're, then they're going to get rid of us. And so we've got it. We've got to get rid of them. And that's why when they say things like the anti-trans panic here, they don't give any context to what actually happened because if they did, you might realize like actually all the violence is coming from a particular side and there, there's a connection there. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, we, we talk about chronology and I think that it's important to kind of contextualize that, you know, we're less than we're less than 10 years out from Obergefell v. Hodges in 2015. And from, you know, let, you know, love is love, which, of course, isn't, um, you know, here we are now where, you know, LGBT crowds and lobbies are threatening to bomb targets and other convenience stores that kowtow to regular people not diehard right-wingers, not people that are, you know, shaving their mustache a certain way, uh, individuals that don't want their children to be exposed to deranged, 
satanic artists. And again, it's the target thing. The creator behind those is a literal Satanist, uh, you know, who has shirts and things that say, you know, Satan respects your pronouns. Believe it or not, Satan does respect your pronouns, so he can get you into hell. But outside of just the religious aspect of this too, this, you know, pull that thread a little, go back even further in time. Um, you've got, you know, individuals like Harry Hay, you know, that Nambla walks with him at gay pride parades, you know, a national pederistic association, you know, that's what he walks with. And they can't help but tell on themselves when it comes to this, because, you know, when they do have those choirs saying that we're coming after your kids, it's the same thing that they were saying 15, 60 years ago when <laughs> these movements were just starting. And when people say no to it, and you can't proselytize it, you can't abuse or expose these children to it, you're absolutely right. It is existential for these sort of groups, because when you say no to it and you stop proselytizing it, people have a tendency to not believe it. Just a month and a half ago, Oren and uh, myself and Logan Clark Hall from New Founding, we were, had an episode together, and we were talking about how one in five Gen Z Americans identify as some kind of LGBT identity. It doesn't matter if they actually practice those acts or not. The identity is what matters to them. They have to enculturate these people to assume that it's acceptable. Um, if you can have that sort of cultivation going on within the young, it's the same thing that every Leninist, every Marxist, every socialist has ever said. Give me a generation of kids and they will turn you into the gulags, you know, within just 15 to 20 years. And this is what we have now. I mean, we already saw this with other political issues, whether it be parents reporting or children reporting on their parents for attending an electoral justice protest on January 6th, 2021. The same thing will happen now. You don't want your children to be on, you know, testosterone or HRT or to get a double mastectomy or whatever. Well, you'll see states like California propose some sort of quote unquote underground railroad because for the left, the cultural mythology is the solid march of a never-ending revolution until everyone is atomized, everyone can't breed. Um, you know, what's that C.S. Lewis line? We castrate the geldings and then bid them to be fruitful. This is what it is. And the only way that this sort of leftist ideology can be fruitful is if it is in every aspect of the public space 24-7. I mean, Glenn Youngkin only got elected because he started focusing on the cultural issues of what happened in that school in Loudoun County, Virginia, where that child was assaulted by a trans person or a trans student, uh, which just happens to be a boy assaulting girls. And so again, what this article is doing is illustrating that there is a state of emergency for this particular political bent. And when there's a state of emergency, powers that be will decide a state of exception. And that's when you start targeting people that you disagree with. And this sort of targeting has been going on for a very long time. You have the legal superstructure for it, as we saw with um, the Bostick County case in 2020, where actually, yes, transgender discrimination is valid under, isn't valid, and it is illegal under the Civil Rights Act and its preceding amendments. You do live under a legal superstructure that if there are protected groups, there is little to nothing that you can do about it. And right now, what people still can do is try and move away and vote with their wallet and ask these brands to not put it on there. And by even simply asking, hey, Target, I don't want this crap for my kids, that's considered to be an existential genocidal crisis for them. Ergo, you're a fascist. We must have a never again sort of rhetoric. And we have to target you. Simple as that. It really is amazing, you know, uh, when Paul Gottfried explains that basically the American regime is just one of denazification. Um, how true <laughs> The, yeah, you know, that it, please please read Anti-Fascism Course yeah. for Crusade by Paul Gottfried, because it, it really does explain this in, in much better detail than I just gave in a, a five, you know, 30 second rant. Though you did give excellent detail. But yeah, it, it, it is amazing how 
uh, how well that argument kind of holds together and how, how prescient it has been when we now, when we kind of saw everyone transition from, oh, you know, everyone who disagrees with left is racist, racist to everyone is actually a fascist. Uh, and all of a sudden it turns out that you need to eliminate the, the places where fascists live because that's certainly not rhetoric that's ever gone wrong ever in history. <laughs> no. All right. Well, guys, we're going to move over to the questions of the people. But before we do that, Mr. Prudentialist, is there anything people should know about? Where can they find your excellent work? Oh, absolutely. Well, once again, Oren, thank you for having me on. Always uh, enjoy speaking with you and as well as with your lovely audience. Uh, you can find me on YouTube, Twitter, and all sorts of great places as The Prudentialist. Um, I am also will be live later this evening. I host a wonderful little podcast called The Digital Archipelago. We will be talking about the late, great Cormac McCarthy uh, later today at 7 p.m. Eastern. Um, but I cover culture, politics, and international relations. And Oren and I will be later this month, next week, actually. Tickets are still available, speaking at the Sildings event conference. Um, so you can buy your tickets there at sildings.com slash events. Um, and that's who I am and what I do. Excellent, guys. Of course, make sure that you check out everything with the Prudentialist. I will be certainly listening into that Cormac McCarthy stream. Uh, had, you know, read, read uh, The Road and uh, Blood Meridian and uh, No Country for Old Men here in the last two years or so. Um, really enjoyed those. Can't Can't really speak highly enough of those, but. All right, let's move over to our questions here real quick. General Grievance here for $5. Uh, can't watch live, but still want to support. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Is there any time frame on the Benevolent Dictator stream with that uh, history whiz you were talking about? Uh, so Furious Pertinex is who you're talking about. We did the stream on Caesarism. Uh, it won't so much be a stream on benevolent dictatorship, but really on the nature of dictatorships in general. Sometimes they can be benevolent. Sometimes they can be uh, not, you know, they can be horrific. Uh, but what we want to uh, do is kind of unpack the concept of dictatorship and remove it from just kind of the lazy application it gets today. Uh, it, it is an office that actually existed with the Romans. It was an official political office. Um, and it's something that uh, that they kind of we can go into in depth uh, where I'm rereading uh, Carl Schmidt's book on dictatorship uh, to kind of prepare for that. So I'm not sure when that'll happen, but it definitely will happen. I think it's a very interesting topic uh, to kind of help us historically and politically understand the functions that dictators have taken on from time to time, what it meant historically uh, and why kind of the the general lazy application today doesn't quite hold. Great username, by the way. That is. Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, Florida Henry here for $5. I grew up on a farm and now live in a walkable city. Suburbs feel like the Twilight Zone, just dead inside. Yeah. And like I said, you know, there are reasonable critiques of the suburban construction. There, there's, there are real uh, things where you can kind of point to like, okay, this isn't healthy parts of suburbs. At the end, they really are part of atomization. They were a step in atomization. Um, they, they do disrupt kind of natural parts of human life. Those are all reasonable critiques. Some of them have, you know, they're, they're difficult to kind of, uh, uh, kind of work out when it comes to like how you get certain amounts of people living in a certain area or how you actually plan to deliver certain services there. The, but those are fair, fair points. That's kind of why I preface this article with, you can make certain critiques of suburbs that are genuine and reasonable. Uh, but in this case, uh, they're just going directly with, um, you know, th this is all because people, you know, it it's all because people want to destroy trans people. That's the only reason that suburbs exist. And so that's kind of the level at which we were looking at it. 
Yeah, I mean, there's like I mentioned earlier in today's conversation, like there is a lot of critiques that you can levy against, um, you know, suburban life. There's a lot of deracinating aspects to it. The culture or your roots are artificially laid down a lot like fake grass and sod. Uh, but for this instance, like Oren just said, right, like this is really about the fact that people who don't live in the city, who tend to have conservative opinions um, when you don't live in, say, like New York or whatever, uh, you know, they, they oppose this stuff. Erico, we have to destroy the places they live. We have to we have to have our march through the suburbs like General Sherman did to the to the sea. Yeah, they're not wrong. Like, as Prudentius pointed out, that the suburbs prevent communism. And just like the kulaks are a problem, right? They're the a class that owns a little too much to be entirely dependent on the system, a class that owns a little too much uh, to, 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 you know, to be able to create some level of independence and do its own thing and not have to completely uh, fall in lockstep with the, well, that's a problem if we're going to have a completely, uh, you know, kind of communistic overbearing centralized government. Uh, and so uh, they, you know, they're just like the kulaks need to be liquidated. So do the suburbans need to go. Doesn't mean everything about the suburbs is, is amazing uh, in and of itself, but it, uh, it definitely is a politically motivated uh, need to kind of eliminate the kulaks as a class, you know, there. Yeah. Um, Creeper Weirdo here for $2. Mussolini lived in a suburb. Coincidence. Well, don't give them any more ammo. <laughs> yeah, Hitler could breathe in air. Coincidence. Yes. Uh, Remember, uh, drinking most, water makes you a fascist. <laughs> mostly hates, uh, yeah, hate food because do you like dogs? Hitler liked dogs. You must also be, yes. No, you're right, Creeper Weirdo. That is the level of argument that we are getting here uh, in many ways. Thank you for your donations there. Uh, Machia Machiavelli, Machiavelli, Machiavelli sucks, sucks to go. Oh, together. Okay, very good. Uh, Federal Reserve is a debt-based scam. The government should issue currency, not bombs. Uh, yeah, or bonds. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> oh, they issue plenty of bonds. They, they, that's how they get to issue the currency. But yeah, no. Uh, uh, hear what you're saying, man. Yeah, no. Many, many people holding very similar opinion. Uh, Cripper Weirdo here for five dollars. I'm no capitalist. All my toys have commie symbols on them. Uh, yes, all the all the things mass produced uh, by by the uh, capitalists have uh, Che Guevara on them. Therefore, I am a communist. Yeah, um, what do you mean? I love my Funko Pops and my freshly unfolded transgender flag that I just purchased off Amazon. Tell know? me that there's a Karl Marx Funko Pop. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure there is somewhere. If not, someone's got a 3D print that they can spend the yeah. money to purchase it for. But yeah, I mean, the left has a. They're more entrenched with capital than than we are um, in that respect. And it kind of puts us in a weird political era of realignment. But that's where we're at. The left is a political human centipede. Again, Creeper. Oh, uh, so, true. Yes. so true. So Very true. So true. Uh, let's see. Uh, Dylan was just annoying and lame. Nashville was an actual attack. More right wingers need to talk about that. Yeah, I mean, that, so this was this was initially my concern. I made this I made this video about like how you could win this stuff. Right. And I said, if you're going to fight this, then here's what you should do. You know, make sure your friends are hired, your enemies are fired, you know, that they give money to your, your, uh, you know, uh, patronage network, blah, blah, blah. But kind of during that video, I said, like, this is kind of sad that this is the only way that people feel like they can kind of push back. And because this is the way that people have chosen to push back, it's become more about Bud Light than it is about this shooting. That was a very real and violent and horrific thing that uh, made children its victims, that made Christian its victims, um, that was perpetrated um, kind of along uh, what would seem like ideological lines. We still don't have access to that manifesto, you know, surprise, surprise. Um, you know, so 
uh, th that should have been the focus, but it wasn't. That said, uh, you got to take your W's where you can. And I think it is clear that the, the Bud Light boycotts were a win, at least to some extent, that they, you know, you the target ones that followed also had a noticeable impact. Uh, they're not complete victories in and of themselves because they don't actually secure you power. And what you should be doing with these popular energies is securing power, which is why they're angry when guys, again, like Chris Rufo or maybe Matt Walsh or somebody use that popular power to more effective ends because the left definitely doesn't want to see that. They definitely don't want the right to learn that actually uh, just having the silent majority on your side doesn't do anything. And what you really need is to capture political popular political will in a way that creates lasting change in elite institutions and so you know it would have been best if all of this had been done in the name of slaughtered people right like that would have been the correct way to be able to do this but the fact that the bud light thing stuck and the fact that it's a victory and the fact that it might be leveraged to do something that matters you know, at the end of the day, I, you, you just everything's not don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good here, I guess is what I'm saying. I mean, I agree with that. And I, I share your very similar concerns. I mean, the, the whole thing is also being relitigated because the autopsy report just came out and they're calling the 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 mortician or the guy that does you know the autopsy. They called him transphobic for using a a female body on the uh, sketch for all the entry wounds and where they were shot and all that was. And so, I mean, it's indicative of the fact that, yeah, that, that stuff is, I think, way more important. I mean, six people died, but, um, you know, you also have to hit them where it hurts, which is their wallets. And I mean, we've gone to war over less in <laughs> terms of people getting killed. And so I, 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 I know where you're coming from, Creeper Weirdo. I, I share your sentiment. But at the same time, um, I, I think that perhaps what could be done is, you know, every time that you boycott or every time that you, you know, hide or let these things go away um you're you're doing it in their memory um and we should make sure that their memory is um commemorated all right uh laws and like Kyrgyz, uh for five dollars very nice uh when liberalism is about becoming a uh is about becoming a political so merchants and nobles can get rich uh uh and we can only discuss 12 topics that are meant to last 70 years yeah so this is this is a reference to Schmidt's uh, kind of concept of the political guys, if you're not familiar. Uh, and the fact that, you know, Schmidt's critique is that liberalism basically attempts to remove the friend enemy distinction. Uh, by the way, I need to I, maybe we, I, I did a video on the friend enemy distinction that was very short. Might not need to do a longer one because a lot of people are throwing it around in ways that don't work. Doesn't make sense. Um, uh, might need to clarify that concept. But anyway, we can, can't can't do that right now. Um Point being, uh, yeah, the the idea with Schmidt is that liberalism kind of artificially tried to remove the political. Uh, and because so many things actually are existential, so many of our disagreements are existential, uh, you had to kind of limit the discussion to a very small amount of topics over which you can argue. Uh, so there's a reason that like both left and right constantly avoid very particular areas, because if you actually had and acknowledge kind of the existential uh, opposition of certain value sets, certain ways of life, uh, then you might actually have to come to a illiberal conclusions about kind of how those uh, ways of life could coexist. Uh, and so, you know, liberalism is great for merchants, uh, you know, cause they can make a lot more money 
Uh, it's great for uh, for kind of uh, getting your society to work together and enriching your ruling class. Uh, like you said, the nobles there. Uh, but it's not particularly good uh, for kind of recognizing truths about the human condition uh, that you can't escape uh, once you kind of just because you said, well, we're not going to have political anymore. Yeah, you can't escape existential realities in the same way you can't escape biological ones. And um, I think our good friend Skeptical Waves has concept of the political available for audio on his channel. I would highly recommend that you listen to it. But yeah, uh, it, many such cases where someone throws around a friend enemy distinction without actually reading Schmidt, unfortunately. Yeah, it's it, it's it, I don't want it, to it's a complicated thing, but I don't want to say it's over complicated. I think it's graspable by most people. But the problem is so many people and I, you know, I'm I, I'm probably part of this because I throw memes around like so many people have understood it as a meme that they just kind of uh, make it a shortcut to their explanation of things rather than understanding like the actual point of the friend and made distinction, which is like there are certain things that, uh, you know, the, once, once a group has been othered, then you can't really coexist. And this is how coalitions form. And this is the nature of political disagreements. And that means that certain political disagreements uh, will always lead to particular ends. This is how the total state gets formed. Like the, those are all things that are inside the concept of the political. It's only like really 70 or 80 pages. So it's well worth your time if you if you want to get around to it. Absolutely. Uh, all right, guys. Well, I think that's everything. Uh, like I said, make sure that you check out all of the Prudentialist's really excellent work. I know he's got a stream coming up, so make sure that you're checking that out as well. And of course, if it's your first time here, uh, make sure that you're subscribing to the channel. If you'd like to get these broadcasts as podcasts, make sure that you go and subscribe to the Warren McIntyre Show on your favorite podcast platform. When you do that, make sure to leave a rating and review that really helps with the algorithm magic. Thanks for coming by, guys. And as always, we will talk to you next time.